Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father, from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might rescue us from this present evil world, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That portion of God's word which we will consider this morning, the Holy Spirit caused the evangelist and apostle Matthew to write for our comfort and our learning. We place a special emphasis on these words gospel. The poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. These are your words, Holy Father. Sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, especially Tucker and Dylan, we always must remember that the gospel is offensive to everyone by nature. The gospel is not readily believed. I have to learn this lesson again and again. I wanted to become a pastor. I thought, who wouldn't want to believe this good news? That's what gospel means, good news. That they have a savior from sin, that God reconciled to them. It hurts our pride that we could do nothing to save ourselves from sin. It offends the old Adam that he is not like God and that all of his knowledge of good and evil amounts only to evil and offers him no help at all to save from death or an evil conscience. But it particularly offends people that it is only Christ's righteousness and obedience that can save them. It is the exclusivity with which Jesus presents his message. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. And so Christianity is the most exclusive religion there is. All works are excluded. Not one exception. Everyone is called a sinner, and the only way is through Jesus. But it is, at the same time, the most inclusive religion there is. No one is barred. Not a single sinner, no matter how horrendous, is barred from the kingdom of God if he repents and believes this gospel. It includes everyone, every man, woman, and child, every nation, tongue, tribe, people, great and small, those who appear to be righteous and those who appear to be sinners, they are all called to believe this gospel. And so because of this, Jesus is very adamant about how he is the only source of life for us. And this is why he says to John, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. But instead takes refuge in his wounds, where his blood cleanses us from all sin, because there is no condemnation for those who trust in Christ's righteousness alone. Blessed is he who is not offended because of Jesus. Why would somebody be offended by Jesus? Again, because Jesus says, not a shred of your own righteousness will help you, only my righteousness will help you. What was John the Baptist's reward for being a faithful preacher of God's word? He wasn't a reed shaken by the wind. He wore camel's clothing and a leather belt and ate locusts and wild honey. He looked crazy. He didn't cut his hair because he was a Nazarene. He preached repentance and faithfully. And for it, he was thrown in prison. He rebuked Herod the king for marrying his brother's wife, Ew. 
And he spoke the truth and was punished. Is it worth it to take a stand on the truth when you lose so much that this life has to offer? John was in prison. Death was already imminent. And it eventually came from the fury of Herodias, Herod's wife. She's the one who had belonged to his brother before. And she had him disgracefully beheaded. What comfort did John have? What comfort did he have? Well, he sends two of his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Luke tells us that after they had asked him this, Jesus healed a lot of people of their diseases, ailments, so that John's disciples could see and witness who Jesus was. And then Jesus says to them, go and tell John the things that you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. The comfort that John needs comes from outside of him. Jesus said, among those born of woman, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. John the Baptist prepared the way of the Lord. He is more than a prophet. He is the messenger who would announce the coming of the Messiah long awaited. And John had done his job. He had fulfilled his calling that was his before he was ever born. And for all of his faithful work, he has no comfort when he is alone in prison. He has no reward for his faithful work, but imprisonment and loneliness. And he wanted to hear from Jesus. Now there's a big debate about whether John was doubting or not. Luther has this sermon where it says it doesn't matter whether he was doubting or not, and then he proceeds to write half of the sermon on how he wasn't doubting. It is true, John's the one who baptized Jesus. He said, I should be baptized by you. He knew who he was. He heard the Father say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased from heaven. He saw heaven opened. He saw the Holy Spirit come down as a dove and a light on him. And so he pointed to Jesus and told Andrew and his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He had preached the gospel and sent his disciples to Jesus. He had decreased so that Christ might increase. But now he needed the gospel preached to him. Why? John the Baptist was a sinner. Even the greatest one born of woman is less than the least in the kingdom of God. Why? Because nothing you do makes you enter into the kingdom of God. No matter how much you do, no matter how great you are, it is not your work that will comfort you, that will give you peace in the face of your greatest enemies, sin and death. Only the gospel, only the good news can do that. What comfort did John need? To be released from prison? Some hope of it, maybe? Jesus doesn't give that. He leaves him in prison. What John needed is the same thing that we all need. We need to remember in the trials that God has given us that we do not necessarily need the thorn removed as Paul wanted it removed. He prayed three times that it be removed from him. And Jesus replied and said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We don't need the, out, the outstanding circumstances, the external situation changed for our comfort. No amount of money will give the comfort that Jesus gives. No amount of hard work, no amount of glory or success. We need the comfort that Isaiah speaks of in our Old Testament lesson. 
Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The comfort is that our warfare is ended. This is the warfare against sin and death. Many ignore this battle to their own peril. They think that they can deal with sin in their own way. One time I met this elderly couple, this was several years back, and I was in the midst of writing a sermon, and, uh, and they were in the same tavern, and we had talked before. And I was talking about the forgiveness of sins. I think it was on Matthew 9. Which is greater, to uh, tell this guy to walk or to say your sins are forgiven you? And they said, well, you have to learn to forgive yourself. And I kind of understand what people mean by that, but the issue is, did you really sin against yourself or did you sin against God? Do you have the authority to forgive yourself? On the basis of what? You hear this all the time, you need to forgive yourself. What does it mean? Can you comfort yourself? Can you make enough excuses for your sins? Can you believe in some sort of abstract goodness that will just turn a blind eye to sin that destroys to evil that surrounds us in this world. No, the warfare is against our own sin. It is against our own death that we have earned. It is against the judgment that we chafe against. Jesus heals those whom sin and death had maimed. He rejuvenates the bodies of the blind and lame, the lepers and the deaf. He recreates, he even raises the dead. But the greatest of these things that he listed for John as proof that he is the one who was to come is that the poor have the gospel preached to them. Oh, poor little girl. It is the power that only Jesus has. And it is this power that is over sickness is the same thing as his power over death that has conquered and over sin that has conquered and bound us. Sin holds all of us captive by nature. It refuses to allow us to trust in God. Kristen and Abigail, you pay attention. Abigail? It refuses to allow us to trust in God. It says instead, no, I can make up for it. I can determine my own destiny. I can make meaning in this world for myself. I can forgive myself. I can comfort myself. Who here can speak and make the blind see? Who here can speak and cleanse the leper? Who here can open the ears of the deaf or make the lame to walk? Jesus has power over the death that confines and restrains us and makes life seem so futile. Jesus has the power to wage the war. Do you know this war? Do you know this warfare? It is the battle between the Spirit who gives you life in your baptism through faith. It is the battle of the truth against the lie. It is the battle of the Spirit against your flesh, who does not want to hear anything that the Spirit has to say. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. The carnal, fleshly mind is enmity with God and does not submit to God's law, neither can it. It is the battle that comes when the commandment tells you what to do. It tells you to love God with all your heart. It tells you not to do what your flesh desires. And sin rises up in you to defend itself and to try to claim you as its own. It promises you freedom. 
repeats the lie of the devil, you will not surely die. Battle is the one that rages in a conscience that has failed to resist what is evil and cling to what is good. It is the warfare between good and evil, between righteousness and sin, between life and death. And there can be no peace for any sinner, not for John, nor for you, nor for me, until we know that this warfare is ended. How is this warfare ended? Only when our iniquity is pardoned. Iniquity is guilt, inequity, unequity. There is a misbalance on the scales. It isn't equal. You know this when you see what sin does in your life. I remember when I was a kid, I used this example. I'd be too rough with my brother, get mad at him and punch him and hurt him. And then he'd start crying and start running to mom. And I'd say, no, no, please, Christian, hit me. Hit me right here. And you want to make up for it. You want to balance the scales somehow. Most of us have hurt ones we love. And we see what their opinion of us must be. We want to make up for it. What does David say after he had murdered Uriah and committed adultery with Bathsheba? Against you, you only have I sinned, O God, and done what is evil in your sight. We see what sin does in our life. We try to be better or give something to one we hurt, but the scales are never balanced by anything we do. It's never balanced. What do we heal? Can we make the blind see again? When we have been blinded by pride and anger and the lusts of our flesh, can we make the lame to walk again when we have gone astray in our own lives, each to his own way? Can we make lepers clean when our flesh is infected with sinful desires that come from our own hearts? Can we make the deaf hear when we have failed to listen to God as we ought, failed to call upon him in every trouble and instead have followed the devices of our own hearts? And we who were dead in our sins and trespasses, was it anything we could have done or could do or decide or resolve that raises us up from the prison of serving sin? Who of us can speak to the casket and again embrace the warm body of someone death took from us? Nobody except for Jesus. Tucker and Dylan, you believe and you are going to confess by God's grace here and all your lives that only Jesus can save you. And you, in saying this, say that you cannot save yourselves. You will have many people mock this. They will say, so you think you're the only one who's right. You weren't right. Did the gospel come from you? It found you poor and miserable, alienated from the life of God, without hope and without God in this world. And it called you out of darkness and into this marvelous light where you see your iniquity pardoned, where you see the warfare ended. It's okay, Abigail. You're okay. Stop crying. Mom, you can't raise the dead. You can't heal the sick like Jesus can. Jesus can heal all of these ailments because he has the gospel. He can preach to your soul because he can heal your body. The gospel is that our iniquity is pardoned. The war is against iniquity, against sin, against guilt. Jesus has won this war. The scales are not merely evened out, but the righteousness of God has overwhelmed the weight of the sin of the whole world. And we have received double for all our sins. That is, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Jesus has more pardon than we have sin. And that is how our warfare has ended, by the forgiveness of sins. Whenever we see evil in the world, whatever evil we see, 
Jesus wins the battle against it. Only he does. Not some crusade, not trying to get world peace, not fixing the climate, not the war to end all wars, not universal health care, not a universal income, not material prosperity. None of us, none of us can do a single thing against sin, against death. Look at how the world has gone mad because of a novel virus. Look at her attempts to conquer one single disease. Look at her confidence. And then look at her failure. The vaccines don't work. Or if they did, they don't work so well. We know this. I'm not preaching politics here. Three quarters of those who have the Omicron variant are fully vaccinated. Good job, world. So should we look to the world to help us with the disease of sin when she can't even help us against this so-called pandemic. Hear about Jesus. Is he the one who is to come? Because we need someone to come and rescue us from this mess, this warfare. Is he the one we should wait for? Is he the one we need to visit us? He heals all of man's diseases. He has pity on us. He sees pet people in pain and his heart is broken within him. In the, in, the, in the Greek, it says that his insides are twisted. He has compassion. He has pity. And he heals their bodies to show that he heals the entirety of us, body and soul. He laughs at COVID. He commands diseases to leave and they obey him. He speaks and life enters dead men's limbs. He orders ears to hear again and mouths to speak again and eyes to see again. He did this. The apostles were witnesses and they testified in the scriptures and their testimony is true. He actually did. But no doctor, but no government, but no guru, but no spiritual prophet of any other kind has been able to do. Jesus alone could do it. Who will endure warfare except the one who came and did battle against every sin and evil and ailment that infects the human race? John would not have his body healed. He would lose his head. What comfort remains for him? The comfort that his warfare has ended and his iniquities part. Comfort is that the fear a sinner has of what God thinks of him is removed when he hears about Jesus. Jesus is what God thinks about you. He loves you. The comfort that a poor sinner at the end of his career can take refuge in is what John needs. It is the good news, the gospel that is greater than any comfort we could imagine. There is no drug, there is no drink, there is no music, there is no philosophy, there is no wishful thinking that can stand in front of this comfort, will not fail in the face of sin and death, but this comfort remains. The flesh is like grass, it withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. I speak again to our confirmands, Tucker and Dylan, but I speak it to all of you. You are going to confess with your mouths what your hearts believe today. You are going to stand in front of God and of this congregation and not be ashamed of Christ, but claim him as your only Lord, your only comfort. Why? Because you are the poor who have the gospel preached to you. You have heard and seen by faith what John the Baptist needed to hear, that Jesus Christ is the one who came to win the battle you lost. He is your faithful Savior. He became the Lamb who takes your sin away, who makes up for everything wrong in your life. 
who defeats every enemy you have, who gives you every good he has, who comforts you in all your afflictions so that you are able to comfort others in their afflictions. And there is so much evil in this world, but it all comes from human hearts who have obeyed the devil and put themselves into his chains. The least of the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. This means that it is not by our works that we enter the kingdom of heaven. John was greater than any of us because of his work, but he needed the comfort that we all came here today to get. We who fight against the sin in our lives and see that we are too weak to resist a single sin by our natural powers, that when we seem to have succeeded on the outside, yet on the inside we still see a flesh that rages against sound judgment, against the law. We of little faith, who have every reason to trust in God and call upon him in time of need, but we have trusted in our own understanding too often, and we have turned every one of us to his own way. What do we need? What do we need but to see the Lord lay on Christ the iniquity of us all, to see the battle won outside of us, we need to see the end of the war that we are so often, we so often feel that we are losing. And where do we find the end of this war? Is it when the circumstances change? When we get a better relationship? When we have a little bit more leisure? When we finish finals week? Or have more money or comfort or status? That way, John is still in prison. But he found the end of the war. You still have many trials that are over you. You have worries. You have anxieties. But John heard his comfort in the gospel, the good news that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. So now you too hear it again. Prepare your heart. If you think you have sinned too much, leave him. And you are sunk down in the valley of the shadow of death. Every valley shall be Lift it up. Lift up your hearts to meet him who has more grace and righteousness than you have sin. If you think that you don't need him, if you think that his truth, not your truth, then you must humble yourself to meet him who comes only for sinners. He will only meet the sinner. He will not climb up to the mountain to meet those haughty in spirit. He will go down into hell and the grave to find sinners who need him. But sinners of every kind know that this man comes to do away with every kind of sin. So don't cling to it. Don't make excuses. Don't act like you can win this war on your own. Don't hold on to a sin as if you can fix it in your life. You can't win it at all. Someone else needs to win it for you. John the Baptist couldn't win the war for all that he did, and he did his duty. Jesus says, after you have done all these things, say we are unprofitable servants. We have only done what it is our duty to do. And so we do not see the end of this warfare after we have accomplished enough, after we have bettered our lives in some way. No. We see the warfare end when we repent and confess our sins to God with a true heart. We don't try to hide them away in shame. How can you hide your sin from Jesus when he knows it all? But how does he know it? He knows it not just because he is God and sees all. He knows it from its pain from its punishment, from its power to torture and kill. He knows it from the anxiety that it gives you, the fear in your heart. He fought it. He faced it and fought the sins you struggle with, the sins that have overtaken you, and he has overcome them. The warfare ended when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, bore your sins in his body on the tree and cried out, It is finished, and rose from the dead to show you the victory and to share his victory with every poor sinner by forgiving him his sins. And so he baptizes you. 
clothes you in him. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins. He speaks the absolution to you. You come here and you say, I, a poor, miserable sinner. And it hasn't changed since last week. I mean, you could have gone from poor, miserable to poor, okay sinner. No, it's still there. And then how does he meet you? I forgive you all your sins. That's what he says to you. He comforts you. You come here with burdens, you lay them down at this altar, and you take the burden of eternal life. You take the hope of everlasting fellowship with God, because the body that bore your sins is given you to eat, and the blood that washes them all away is given you to drink. The battle that he won, he teaches you to believe it is won. The battle must be won outside of you, and the victory be given to you, so that your heart can embrace it inside of you. And you can survive through the trials and tests of this world. Even if you're thrown in prison. Even if it looks like you're going to lose your head to some skanky woman. I don't think I've ever said that word in the pulpit. Probably shouldn't say that word. But she was. Herodias was nasty. I mean, she was a bad lady. When your sins are forgiven, what is there left to fight? Sin may threaten like a peacock, as if it has some power. But it is bound and removed from you as far as the east is from the west. When you hear the words, I forgive you. What is death that you should fight it? Hasn't it already been defeated and you have the hope of the resurrection and eternal life? So then death is but a slumber. What if you are in prison like John or are still blind or lame or deaf or sick? Isn't Jesus who heals all these diseases still your Lord over sin and death? And hasn't he already given you what is created in earthly health and freedom? Yes, he has given you himself. He has ended the warfare by winning the war in your stead for you. This is the foundation of all your life. This is the foundation of your comfort. This is what is going to guide you through every trial, every wrong that you must suffer, every sin that you commit, every war that you fight is won by this comfort that the war has been won. Your warfare has ended. Comfort. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I will say rejoice. For there is sadness around and sickness. Though you still see sin yawning in front of you, Yet in the Lord there is joy and peace, victory over sin, death, and the devil. The comfort that wins against every, every anxiety you have, every threat from the world and the devil in your flesh. It's the comfort that has more forgiveness than you have sin. It is the comfort John needed, I need, and you need. It's yours in your baptism and the supper and the absolution and the scriptures you read. It's the comfort that teaches you to comfort others, to love others. It's the comfort of a God reconciled and at peace with you who has given you his spirit so that you might cry to him in every cross and trial and at the end of every fight see that Jesus is not someone to be ashamed of but to glory in, to triumph and rejoice in no matter what sadness or shame this world throws at us. God grant us all this comfort now in every trial and in death that we might hear what God the Lord will speak. He will speak peace to his people. He will comfort poor sinners with the gospel.